0: Hello and welcome to Engage with Eagle Forum, a podcast to encourage the modern day woman in her vital role in shaping society. I'm one of your hosts, Tabitha Walter, the political director of Eagle Forum. Today, we are talking about an issue that affects our communities, jobs, and even our paychecks. That is infrastructure. When Joe Biden was running for president, he tried to make an appeal to blue collar workers. He promised a good economy, better jobs and more family assistance. Now he has rolled out a proposal that falls short of that and comes with a $2 trillion price tag. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to bring on someone who could give us the rundown of the good, bad and ugly of this bill. Sarah Anderson is the director of policy for FreedomWorks. She researches and writes about federal and state legislation, develops limited government policy solutions advances FreedomWorks policy priorities by working both on Capitol Hill and allied groups and writes in various publications, as well as speaking at events across the country. Prior to joining FreedomWorks, Sarah worked on various political campaigns, both state and national. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Hey Tabitha, thanks so
1: much for having me join y'all.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So let's start with the basics. Infrastructure is a Mm -hmm. pretty broad term What does that encompass when it comes to government policies?
1: Yeah, so historically, the issue of infrastructure has been a bipartisan one throughout time, all the way back to when President Dwight D. Eisenhower signed into law the Federal Aid Highway Act back in 1956. Um, It kind of established that the federal government would pay for a vast majority of the construction of interstate highways. And so when we think about federal infrastructure, I think that's where most people's minds go, right? roads, bridges, maybe trains, the potholes on your way to work, what have you. Um, So that's what infrastructure really is meant to be at the federal level, is people's focus on, again, our highway system, getting rid of the potholes, um, and just generally making um, the physical infrastructure of our country uh, better and investing in in programs that will help that to happen.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, President Biden rolled out his infrastructure plan in Pittsburgh recently, um, but we really didn't hear a lot of real infrastructure projects in that proposal Mm -hmm. can you give us an overview of what his plans actually are
1: yeah and that's the issue that we're really getting into this year is the Biden administration the left taking issues that have historically been bipartisan have historically been relatively limited Um, and just turning them into sort of a partisan agenda item that they're using to push through some radical policies. So infrastructure, of course, uh, when it comes from the Biden administration does not just mean roads and bridges. In fact, uh, only about 600 billion of the $2.5 trillion in his what is called the American Jobs Plan actually goes toward what we would traditionally think of as infrastructure. Um, The rest of it is, and I know you and I have talked about this before, um, a number of unrelated items, including dollars for public schools to develop a green energy infrastructure inside of those public schools, which I think advancing a climate agenda as part of a infrastructure package is nonsensical. So um, this bill kind of top line items um, spends 2.5, Trillion dollars of taxpayer dollars. We know this comes on the heels of a $1.9 trillion partisan COVID relief package, again, with only about 9% of that spending going toward actual COVID relief. Once again, a a bipartisan issue in the past that has been made partisan uh, by Joe Biden and the Democrats. Um, But this bill, again, $2.5 trillion, um, raises taxes as well, increases the corporate tax rate back from 21%, which it was lowered to under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, up to 28%, which will make us less competitive in the world. So it's kind of rich that they call it the American Jobs Plan. Um, but beyond that, I mean, it it pushes for the passage of the PRO Act, which is a giveaway to big labor unions, would decimate anybody who's an independent contractor, make it much more difficult to have freelance work um, at a time when, of course, people are still looking for work. We're trying to get back on track from COVID, and we need all the jobs we can get, um, not just the union jobs that Joe Biden would want you to have.
0: Right. Yeah. And I, I think we're seeing a, a pattern here where Democrats are passing spending bills that are Mm -hmm. extremely high in dollar amounts, Mm -hmm. doesn't exactly tackle what they are promising, but then also they aren't spending the amount of money that they're appropriating before they move on to the next bill. Right. And so it's, it's an awful spending pattern that we hate to see and, Mm -hmm. and it's still continuing. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: I think that's a really important point to make is we saw it with the COVID package, right, which there was another $1.9 trillion that came through. Uh, But some leaders in the House and Senate introduced a resolution, actually Rick Scott in the Senate and uh, Jason Smith in the House saying, hey, hey, before we pass another package like this, let's see what money's actually left unspent from previous COVID packages, and it's more than a trillion dollars. So why are you spending 1.9 trillion more uh, when we still have maybe exactly that much or more uh, sitting in the coffers from previous bipartisan packages? So this infrastructure mm-hmm. package is just another example of that. Um, infrastructure was something that President Trump made a priority of his administration to get done in a bipartisan fashion. Uh, But of course we saw the kind of partisan nature of things begin um, to ramp up and get a sort of vitriolic throughout his presidency. And so that package wasn't able to happen. And so now we're sitting in a situation where we have a package that even Politico has said, maybe we shouldn't call it an infrastructure package. And so when you get something like that from what you might consider the mainstream media, you know, there's a problem.
0: Yeah, that's pretty bad. (laughs) No, we could spend hours dissecting each little thing about the infrastructure bill, but we wanted Mm -hmm. to hit a key topic that would be relevant for our listeners. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the education piece. And yes, education is part of the infrastructure bill, which is silly to me. (laughs) We've been hearing for months that Biden would reopen schools. Mm -hmm. In fact, Congress allotted money to do so in some of the previous COVID bills, Mm but it was without any enforcement mechanism. Right. So what can we expect on the education front in this plan?
1: Yeah, well, I think you certainly won't see any ties to reopening public schools coming out of this infrastructure package. Um, again, it is $100 billion to, they say, upgrade and build new public schools through $50 billion in direct grants and an additional $50 leveraged through bonds. Um, and so really what this says is that they're throwing more dollars at a problem that's not going to be fixed by dollars being thrown at a problem. Um, we know from studying the coronavirus, studying the spread in communities, studying the spread in schools, that districts even, and the CDC has said that, Districts that have reopened their schools actually have lower rates of community spread when kids are going back to public schools than when they stay closed. Um, This is something that we've seen leaders on school choice in Congress pushing on throughout this time. Um, Mike Johnson, who used to chair the um, Senate, uh, sorry, the House Republican Study Committee, leading a letter to the CDC saying, Hey, why did you put out guidance that says? that 90% of schools need to stay closed in order for it to be safe when your science actually contradicts that. So this package um, and what we saw in the COVID packages a couple of weeks ago through Congress, um, throws dollars at public schools with no eye towards school choice, no eye toward reopening schools. Uh, But instead, even in this infrastructure package, um, what it says is they'll invest in cutting edge, energy efficient and electrified, resilient and innovative school buildings. Um, So that, to me, you can tell me what you think, but sounds like Green New Deal policies in disguise Mm -hmm. that have absolutely nothing to do with educating our students and getting them back on track after the past year has just devastated so many students.
0: Right. And and I think that's a lot of fancy wording that actually ties the hands of the school administrators in Mm -hmm. opening schools. Yeah. Like, if you you want the federal money, you have to do, you know, who knows, change a light Mm -hmm. bulb or... Um, I, you know, have more energy efficient um, appliances in the kitchen or, you know, who knows what that means. Yeah. And it's just so silly and and, and micromanaging from the federal Mm -hmm. government that it it really takes a toll on not Mm -hmm. only the people who work in the schools, but the children who learn from Mm -hmm. those teachers and administrators. And it's really awful to see. Yeah. And the families as well, I would say throughout this COVID-19
1: pandemic, something that probably your audience resonates with a lot is just the difficulty and the burden placed on families to have to choose between, you know, can I continue to work or do I have to be a part-time teacher when my tax dollars are already paying for, you know, a public education that's not really available at this time? You know, you have Mm -hmm. to help your student figure out how to use Zoom. You have to make sure they're there. You have to babysit your child while you're trying to work. And especially as companies and and states are reopening and parents are going back to work, uh, it leaves them in an even worse position to say, you know, these schools, they need to reopen and people need to be able to send their kids to a quality education. I mean, that gets to the point of school choice as well, which is that you know, if a public school serves your child well, um, and if they have reopened and it works for you to send your student back to that school, that's great. But if not, there should be dollars going to families to choose an education that works for their student and more importantly, works for their family, especially while the government is the reason that we've been shut down for more than a year now.
0: Absolutely. Now, this money even goes to um, education before elementary school. And mm-hmm. I, we're seeing some of that money go towards daycares and universal mm-hmm. pre-k. Mm-hmm. And that can be really dangerous. it's it's federal money reaching into um, early education mm-hmm. and beyond the typical public schooling. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any insight into that? Yeah, I think it's a
1: continued pattern from the left of trying to take over. What people are learning as they're growing up in our country, the curriculums um, in public schools are, are bad enough and inaccessible to a number of people and and difficult to tell exactly what students are learning in classrooms. You know, some people have said the one silver lining of this virtual learning is that parents are able to see what, public schools are actually teaching to their children, which by and large, in in a number of ways, goes against a lot of the principles that I think you and I believe in, that your audience believes in, in terms of the value of America and the virtues that we hold so dear as a country. Um, The federal government, first and foremost, should have no role at all in education policy. To make that clear, of course, there's no place of the constitution that mentions the word education. It is solely Uh, left to the states and localities to determine how public education systems work, and, and as they should. Of course, there's nobody who knows more closely what students need than initially, of course, the student and their family. Next out would be their family and friends, their communities, Um, their local governments first, and then moving to the state governments. And then finally, of course, having very little idea of what students need would be the federal government. So when you think about it from an educational standpoint, it certainly doesn't make sense to have the federal government involved at all. Um, And then furthermore, especially not involved in just the caretaking of of children before they even become school age. I Mm -hmm. think that's a pretty ludicrous concept in terms of having bureaucrats in Washington DC deciding how many dollars should be spent on which child for what purpose in parts of the country that are thousands and thousands of miles away from Washington DC in communities that most of these people who live in the DC Beltway bubble have never experienced, never been to. Um, And if you're asking families to rely on the federal government for the care of their children, um, I think we've strayed far, far from what our founders intended and what we came to America to be.
0: Right, exactly. I think we're seeing a lot of that shift happen over the last, you know, few decades, where mm-hmm. um, parents have less and less of a choice in their children's education, and yeah. um, even women in the workforce. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've we've had a hard year. Some uh, mothers have had to quit their jobs to stay yeah. at home with their kids. Um, but in the long run, when there isn't a pandemic going on, they should have that choice. Do they yeah. wanna stay home and raise their children or do they wanna go into the workforce? But when, when the federal government creates these um, federal programs that mm-hmm. put money into daycares and universal pre-K, mm-hmm. it forces women to go into the workforce even when they don't want to just to right. support their families. Right. And so that's the danger of it. We should have that choice, but mm-hmm. the federal government having control over these things don't mm-hmm. give us much of a choice.
1: Yeah, and I think we often talk about the government choosing winners and losers, but um, you know they do that by forcing people's hand one way or the other, by inserting themselves into the private market, inserting themselves into people's private lives and saying they'll create such a massive incentive, just like you're talking about, that if you don't do this, then you're the one losing out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the type of social engineering that I think is really terrifying, especially again, when it comes from Washington, DC.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now we touched on climate change and Mm -hmm. let's talk a little more about that. Um, We have some policies in this um, upcoming infrastructure bill that are gonna be straight from the Green New Deal. Mm -hmm. And we saw this happen with the Obama administration where he came down hard on labor industries like the coal industry causing a lot of them to shut down Mm -hmm. and it left a lot of people without jobs. Yeah. So this didn't set well with Democrats who worked those jobs and in some cases resulted in those workers voting Republican in the next election. And um, it ushered in a Trump, a Trump yeah. administration. Do you think we'll see that happen again if this infrastructure bill goes through? I mean, I
1: certainly hope that people see through the rhetoric of Joe Biden, right? He unveiled this plan in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which is well known to be. Um, a a town of blue-collar workers. And so what his whole spiel was, right, when he unveiled this is, we're going to create a bunch of American jobs. They're going to be good union, well-paying jobs. um, But of course, jobs that are are created by or coerced into existence by the federal government. Um, And that's not really the type of investment that you need to see um, in order to have economic prosperity over time, right? It harkens Mm -hmm. back to FDR's um, New Deal, where he created so many federal agencies, created so many federal programs that created jobs, sure, in the short term. But they're not real jobs because they're not private sector enduring jobs that are going to allow people to build a career and provide for their families over years and years and decades and decades. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of the difference that we see here between investment and spending. It's really easy to spend money to throw dollars at a problem, it's more difficult to craft policy that actually invests in our communities and drives economic growth. Mm-hmm. Um, what this Bill, this plan, whatever you might want to call it, of course, it's not in legislative form yet. It's been unveiled by the White House. They're hoping to pass it through Congress in two separate bills, most likely. Um, just really drives a dagger through the economy that we saw President Trump Trump's administration create, which is one of deregulation, of lower taxes, and of economic prosperity. Um, that's something that the left does not want, um, because they want people to be like you and I were talking about, dependent on the government and beholden mm-hmm. to what the government is going to tell them to do. So sort of in the long term, the policies that exactly that you're talking about that drove Democrats, blue-collar workers to vote for Republicans vote for President Trump, vote for others who are pro-business and pro-worker, um, is a phenomenon we're gonna see again. You know, It's interesting that Joe Biden is unveiling again this uh, package he's calling the American Jobs Plan when he single-handedly killed the Keystone Pipeline and is pushing mm-hmm. for banning fracking. You know, Those are the types of jobs that blue-collar workers have in our country um, and that they need to keep. And that's why you get states like West Virginia um, who politically confused as they might be with Senator Manchin, Senator Capito, mm-hmm. and then you know the Republican uh, delegation in the House as well as the Democrat governor, but but it's a it's a state where these policies affect their lives, mm-hmm. um, and Joe Biden single handedly killing union jobs and then saying oh I'm here for the blue collar worker I'm here for the jobs when he's going to raise taxes on the people who actually create jobs in the private sector is just wildly hypocritical.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, let's hope that this usher's in a new Republican president Mm -hmm. in the next few years, you know? Certainly. We've discussed all the bad Democrat-led policies, Mm -hmm. but tackling infrastructure, like you said, hasn't always been a Democrat initiative. Mm -hmm. Um, President Trump pushed for this in his first four years. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there such a good thing as good infrastructure policy?
1: Yeah, I think it has to originate with what I just mentioned a couple minutes ago, which is actual investment in our infrastructure instead of just spending and certainly not dishonest spending, right? So targeted infrastructure spending that's paid for by cutting wasteful spending elsewhere in the government that's driving us further and further into debt. I think a lot of people could get on board with, and I think Republicans would get on board with that if they saw it as fiscally responsible and beneficial to the long-term prosperity of our country, both the infrastructure of it as well as the economics that go alongside it. Um, even as early as just the beginning of this year, Democrats were saying that they wanted this infrastructure package to be bipartisan. Um, and then they very quickly turned on their heads and said, actually, we're going to look to the reconciliation process to pass this meaning that they don't need to get any Republican votes in the House or Senate to pass this bill. So for something like infrastructure, again, that has historically been bipartisan, that is able to be bipartisan as long as it's done in a fiscally responsible way, um, I think just completely shows their hand that they're A, not interested in the unity that they campaigned on, um, and then B, will really stop nowhere to uh, get their their policies passed and, and sell it as an infrastructure package, but clearly they can't even fool um, some of the some of the mainstream media who's starting to realize, hmm, this is not necessarily infrastructure. This is a lot of trillions of dollars. Um, regardless of whether you think government spending is good or bad, it's objectively not focused on infrastructure. So, mm-hmm. um, I think there are to answer your question, such thing as good infrastructure policies, but it has to be investment, not just spending.
0: Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned responsible spending, which is kind of funny. Don't uh, <laughs> come across Congress yeah. very often, but. Um, when it comes to this infrastructure bill, um you had mentioned that the corporate tax will be mm-hmm. raised to 28%. Now yeah, yes. there, there is a little bit of disconnect there where, oh well, you know, I don't own a corporation, so yeah. that's not going to affect me, but that's not completely true. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about how something like that would actually affect the American people?
1: Yeah, I think the principle behind that is exactly just that every dollar taken out of the private sector and given to the government is a dollar that's going to be used less efficiently um, in terms of creating prosperity in our country. So regardless of whether you own a corporation um, or you work at the local mart on you know the side of the street and the town you've grown up in for 45 years, It doesn't matter as long as there are dollars coming out of the pockets of americans and going to the federal government they're going to be used less efficiently and especially this is true when it comes to the corporate tax rate because corporations are run by people who have wealth and they're able to generate jobs generate wealth in society by investing Um, our vp of our um, center for economic freedom freedom works always says that you cannot stimulate the depressed by depressing the stimulated. And what he means by that is that if you take money away from the very people who are creating jobs in our society, which to a large degree, those are of course, small businesses. We know about half of all Americans are employed by small businesses. Uh, But the other half then are employed by not small businesses, which includes corporations that create millions of jobs in our country. And if you take Mm -hmm. those dollars out of the corporations, out of the people who run them and create the jobs that they do, um, that affects every American. You might see reduced hours, you will see reduced wages, um, or you'll see just entirely lost jobs. Um, And what that means, of course, is that then fewer people are generating wealth for themselves to be able to take care of their families and maybe on the back end start a company of their own. Um, So again, no matter where these dollars are being taken from, they depress our economy, they depress wages, they reduce hours for workers, and they result in private sector jobs going away. But I think um, it's sort of no surprise that the left is looking to raise this corporate tax rate again, because again, they want you to have the jobs that the government has created, that they have control over, and that contribute to the policies that they want to see in our country, which is not necessarily in line with what we know that the American people want.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, of course, this is such a big issue to talk mm-hmm. about in a short amount of time, but you have certainly covered it well, <laughs> and um, we just want to know, how can our listeners find more information on this topic and then follow your efforts at FreedomWorks?
1: Yeah, so we have been relatively engaged on the infrastructure issue as well as a number of other government spending issues for anybody who is watching this who isn't familiar with FreedomWorks. We're a limited government grassroots organization just dedicated to trying to get the government out of your lives. So it's sort of across the board, uh, mostly with a fiscal focus as well as a constitutional focus in terms of, hey, our founders crafted this document that very carefully um, outlines what the federal government is allowed to do and everything else belongs to you. Um, the federal government has not done a very good job over time of respecting that document. Um, and so we're interested in, in making sure that people retain the rights that they are given and that they're entitled to under our Constitution. Um, we have a website. It's freedomworks.org uh, where you can find basically all of the stuff that goes out from our policy shop, as well as our comms team and our grassroots uh, side as well. Um, and then you can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram as well. It's just FreedomWorks, all one word. Um, And then for me, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is S-M-A-Y-R Anderson. Um, And you can follow some of the media I've been doing on this issue, as well as a number of other things that are coming down the pike. Um, We try to do the best job we can of disseminating the information of what's actually going on in D.C. to the grassroots community. Help make your voice heard. So please do get plugged in with us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sign up for their emails. Follow them on social media. I can attest FreedomWorks is amazing and they're good on every issue. So you can't go wrong with their information. Well, thanks, Tabitha. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. And we will be posting these resources a lot from FreedomWorks um, on our social media this week. If you're listening to our podcast, be sure to subscribe, share with your friends and leave us a review. You can find us on all the major social media outlets and at engagewitheagleforum.com. From your house, to the State House, to the White House, this is Engage with Eagle Forum.